Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for meeting me tonight, meeting with us. Welcome to Table Talk. I am your host, Yvette Gallinar, and uh, this is a, a topic where we, or a segment, I should say, where we dive into uh, deeper content with a biblical perspective. And tonight, I have with me my friend and uh, returning guest, Ryan Peterson. Welcome, Ryan, once again to Table Talk. Yvette, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always good to get you back maybe every couple months. I know you're a busy guy. You're always traveling and you've got a lot on your plate with work and family and your ministry. So I always, always appreciate your time, uh, taking the time and Absolutely. spending it with me. So I do, do appreciate that. But for those of you that may uh, be new to our program and may not know who Ryan is, I can't imagine you not knowing who Ryan Peterson is. But in any case, let me do a little bit of intro. Uh, Ryan is the author of Amazon's number one bestsellers, Judgment of the Nephilim and The Final Nephilim. Those two books are absolutely amazing, read both of them. Uh, they changed my perspective when I first read them uh, several years ago. We had that talk when we had our fir first table talk. Uh, but he also has a companion study uh, guide for each of his books. So we will encourage you at the very end here on how to get those because those are really good materials for you to get your hands on. Uh, Ryan is a biblical researcher and writer with an emphasis in ancient Hebrew thought and theology. And he received his BA from the University of Rochester and his JD from Columbia University Law School. Am I missing anything? Thank you, got it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you, Ryan, so much. I saw you recently on Tipping Point with uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans, as a matter of fact. Meant to tell you that. Yeah, that was great. I, I was really um, just thrilled to be invited on with Pastor Jimmy. It was a, uh, it was a fun time. It was exciting, and it was a, uh, and I'm glad it aired because I, I actually recorded that several months ago, and so yeah, um, they told they told me it was going to air in July, and it actually aired at the end of June, the first episode. So I, I someone emailed me and said, "Hey, I just saw you on Tipping Point." I'm like, "Oh, it's on!" Yeah. So it was a, it was a very pleasant surprise. But yeah, it was a great time being on that program. That's awesome. I we partner with uh with Tippy with uh Pastor Jimmy Evans Tipping Point is his show. And we love that. We love his show and I get, you know, I get the notification on all all the time and when I saw your name come through I said, "Oh, let me go check it out. I got to see what Ryan has to say." And you were there for two uh parts, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, two episodes. Yeah. Great, great material. Um, uh, great show, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he's in Texas where you are. Is that right? He is. He's in Dallas. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So which made it even better. Yeah. So I got to not only could I go and it was easy to get there. We, I got to really spend time with him and uh, his son, uh, Brent and people from the ministry. And so they were all really kind. We went out to eat and had a great time. And so it was easy to be laid back because I wasn't rushing to catch a plane or having to go to right. a hotel so it was great it was a really it was a blessing was that your first time on the show there yeah it was it was mm -hmm. okay yeah I, I didn't think I had seen you there before so when when you were his guest I I definitely had to take a look and see what was going on there so it was great it was great to hear you yeah a um, lot of fun Ryan I've got a ton of questions for you tonight are you ready <laughs> for me are you ready, ready for our audience? <laughs> I, I am ready. I'm ready. Let's have some fun. Nothing better than getting into God's word. 
I love it. I love it too. And, you know, we, we always want to get deeper into all of those type of scripture verses. You know, maybe one of these days we can do a segment where we can pick some of the uh, verses where, you know, it's like you get scratch your head kind of verses. Like, what is God saying here? So maybe sure. we can do that one of these days. Um, but I think great. we're going to get a little bit on it tonight, though. Probably. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, let, yes. Let's dive right in because one right. of the things that you and I talk about um, on the, well, we've been, you've been on our show already twice. This is your third yes. time. Yes. And uh, we've touched on quite a number of topics already. Uh, so I encourage folks to go back and listen to those. But, you know, I, I keep wanting to touch on several topics, especially as I've read your book and or both books, really, uh, Judgment of the Nephilim and, and the Final Nephilim. You cover so much material there. And one of the things that I absolutely love about both your books is that you you it's not just youth, you know, you writing or this is your thought or this is what you think. No, you really back it up with scripture. And that's one of the main things that I love about your content, because it's not as if you're, you know, giving your just your opinion on something, you know, and it's fine. We can give our opinion. Right. But when you back it up with scripture, it carries so much more weight. Um, but there <clears throat> there are countless of what I what I say as seemingly unexplained and mysterious uh, passages that are in the Bible. There are. Many, many yes, mysterious ones. And, and some are some are explained and some are to be revealed, I, I would say. Um, but one of the references that I believe stumps a lot of people, a lot of Christians, is the phrase sons of God. Sons of God. We read that throughout the Bible in many, many uh, uh, verses. And then we have scriptures referring to God standing in a group of what appears to be angels called gods little g's right and right, so sure. um for example we find uh in psalm 82 which i know you cover you've covered at length we we see some of those examples in psalm 82 the book of job is another really good example you know just to name a couple but who are these sons of god and is there a difference between some of them are they good are they evil are they both? And <laughs> what yes. does all of this have to do with the divine counsel? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to sure. wind you up and let you go. How's that? <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, you know, you know, just to start off, to go back to what you said about mysteries in the Bible. You know, the Bible is such an amazing book. I was actually uh, spending time. I actually got dinner with my with my mother tonight who, you know, is a very passionate student of the Bible yeah. and taught me, my, I always say she's my first Bible teacher. And it's funny because she said, you know, even now she's still questioning me about the Bible. And she said to me, this is even, she said, you know, she goes, you know, like really, she goes, you know, everything that we really think about and interact with and see in this world, no matter what it is, the Bible is going to touch on it. And I said, yeah. And she said, do you really believe that? And I said, yes. I said, yes, I do. I said, yeah. I, said, I just wrote a book where I said quantum physics is in the Bible. So I said, I definitely believe that everything is in the Bible, right? So 
And so, but there are mysteries. So the Bible is a very simple book and a very complex book at the same time, right? So, you know, again, which in physics is called superposition, right? Because God exists in multiple states. And so it's it, the gospel couldn't be more simple, right? Believe upon Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall be saved, right? right? The most beautiful message in the world is so simple. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform an action. It's in your heart. Right. right. And a five-year-old can understand that. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, there are many complex ideas in the Bible, especially obviously dealing in prophecy and the supernatural. And God says in his word that he is hiding things, right? Is mm -hmm. the glory of God to conceal it a thing, right? This is what God does, but it's the honor of kings to search a matter out. So that's what God wants us to do to search the scriptures, to understand these mysteries. Because one, we get truth, we get revelation, but two, it brings us closer to him. So I just want to, you know, you touched on that. And sometimes people, even the word mystery, people say, hey, why do you think there, why do you say there are mysteries in the Bible? God doesn't make anything mysterious. But yet, no, God actually says, yes, I do. I'm concealing things and I want you to find them. And so I commend you and your ministry because you, you're encouraging people to do exactly what God wants to do. This is how we grow, right? And so, so the divine counsel, the sons of God, Benaiha Elohim, in Hebrew, you know, these are angels. First off, we're talking about angels. And, you know, Psalm 82 is one of these chapters that gives us a peek into the divine realm, into the unseen realm, into heaven. And so it's really an amazing passage. And, you know, again, like you said, it says, you know, I'm, I'm reading from the KJV. It says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting passage because I think here it's really referring to fallen angels. Because God is, is rebuking them. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and accept persons of the wicked? And God encourages them, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. And so this is clearly a rebuke. And we're, we're gonna, in, in a moment, we can touch on why, how, you know, how are they supposed to do these things? Like, where, what is, where do they have a chance to help the poor if you're an angel in heaven, right? So we'll get into that. But the, the, what really brings it home contextually that we're talking about angels is when we get to verse six, and it says, "I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High." They're gods. Lord G gods, right? And so we, and we shouldn't be scared of this term as Christians that God acknowledges, right? right? God is called the Lord. Yahweh is called the God of gods in Old Testament. So it's acknowledging that there are lower G gods, the fallen angelic realm, the angelic realm that they, they are referred to as gods. Of course, they're not God in the common sense we think of. They're not the most high, El Elyon. But God would never need the title the most high if there weren't other beings who are high. And that's who this is, this divine council of the angelic realm. And then continues in verse 7, says, but ye shall die like men. So it's making a clear contrast, right? It's saying you're going to die like a man, meaning you're not a man, but you're going to die like one. So it's telling us contextually that these are angelic beings that God is, re is rebuking. And I love verse 8 because this really, again, is almost giving us a clue in the mystery we're trying to uncover. It says, arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou... 
talking about God. And right now, David, the psalmist, is moving back into his own voice and is saying, God, arise, for thou shalt inherit all nations. And that's a really important passage because, again, God created the earth. God rules the earth. So why would he have to inherit anything? Why would God inherit nations if he has them already? Because maybe he's given authority to them, to someone else. And this is what this is going back to. This is this is the context of why God is rebuking them is because what we're going to see is this divine counsel is mentioned earlier in scripture and God gave them authority over other nations, right? And this is found in Deuteronomy 32. Yes. And so Deuteronomy 32 is where we see God dividing the nations. And, and it, it makes this reference to saying that when God divided the nations in the Masoretic text, it says he divided according to the number of the sons of Israel, right? But when you go to the Septuagint, and that reveals a lot of what's happening and makes it much more clear that this is a supernatural context, the, super, the, the Septuagint, which for those who don't know, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was written in roughly the second century BC. And it was uh, translated from Paleo-Hebrew, from the original Hebrew alphabet, right? Where the Masoretic text is translated from the later Hebrew called squared or Masoretic Hebrews, the Masoretic Hebrew alphabet. So the Septuagint is really the closest thing we have to the original Old Testament that's written the recorded written Old Testament. And there, when you read that passage in Deuteronomy 32, it says that God divided the nations according to the number of the angels in heaven, the angels of God, the sons of God, right? Yeah. So it's a reference to angels. And why is that important? Well, well, what, what was happening there, right, is that it continues by saying that the Lord's portion is Jacob, Israel, is God's portion. So God, at this time, at the division of nations, basically said, I'm going to turn over what we call the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, to these angels, right? You see in the table of nations, we see this table of 70 nations in scripture, and I'm going to reserve, I'm going to build my nation through one man, right? Which was originally Abraham, right? The father of the faith and build the nation of Israel. So God basically said, I'm, I'm setting the, the battlefield is basically my nation versus the rest of the world. And I've put these angels in charge of these, of these nations. And so what we see, and we even see a further glimpse of this uh, in Daniel chapter 10. And I mentioned this in Judgment of the Nephilim as well, where you see this battle taking place Daniel, of course, is praying for Israel and for the end of their captivity in Babylon for 21 days. And finally, the angel Gabriel comes to speak to him to, and says, you know, from the day you prayed, I, I was sent forth to answer you. But he says, but, the, you know, but the prince of Persia withstood me. They were battling. And so he was battling a fallen angel who's called the prince of Persia. So we see clearly there is a fallen angel assigned. And I believe this is why we, in the New Testament it calls them principalities. A principality is a reference to a location. They rule that angel ruled over Persia, which, of course, was the dominant empire at that time. And they were fighting. And that's why it took 21 days for the angel to reach Daniel, and then he says, Michael, the archangel, he said, your prince, meaning that Michael is the righteous angel who's the prince oversigned over Israel, fought with this angel and helped Gabriel to escape and 
And I said, now I can reach you because he helped me win the fight. And he said, when I leave, I'm going to go and fight the Prince of Greece. Right. So amazing passage. It's not only is it showing this kind of heavenly warfare, but also the Greek Empire was not even born at this time. So it's also showing the power of God's prophecy that he that the angel already knows the next that the Prince is going to go down, and the next empire is going to have a different angel because it's going to be Greece, right? And so, so this is this is the backdrop of everything that's taking place in Psalm 82. So we go back. To Psalm 82, we can see this is what God is talking about, right? This is what God means here when he's saying, you know, you you dealt unjustly. You haven't helped the poor. How long you judge unrighteously? And it's interesting because when you go again to the Septuagint version of Psalm 82, it says God stands in the assembly of gods. And in the midst of them will judge the gods. So it's not even calling them mighty it's using the term gods again, Elohim. And it says, and, and then um, so it's the way they have ruled the nations, right? To allow injustice, to allow wickedness, greed. This is why God's rebuke. This is why they can be how could they be responsible for anything happening to the poor people on earth? Because they've been assigned over these nations and they're allowing wickedness to flourish. And this is why God can say, You have you've allowed this to happen so God can rightly judge them. Because they are doing wickedness, they're they're spreading wickedness in the earth, and um, and even then, when you think about it too, you know, again, you know, we quote Ephesians six, you know, twelve all the time. We wrestle not the flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Like, I mean, you, and we go through this list of angels, prince, you know, uh, um, rulers of darkness. Right, it's talking about the angelic realm again. This contrast, right? Not flesh and blood, but it says wrestle. We wrestle. Wrestling is close quarter contact, right? That's con that we're. You don't wrestle somebody with a gun. You're that means they're in your face, putting their hands on you, right? And I, I don't think we give that enough attention. Mm. That what the Bible's saying is that these beings, they're here and they want to wrestle you. Right. So, it, you know, so it's like they're not just in thirty five thousand feet in the sky looking down and just watching things. They're interacting. Mm -hmm. Paul is telling us in that passage, this is your enemy and they are here trying to battle you. And so when you put in that context of the unbelieving world, they can just run rampant with people who don't believe in God. Right. If a demon can make someone act completely insane, certainly a fallen angel can do even more. Right. And so. And so, yeah, so, so when you put this all together, you know, it's really clear that these sons of God, these are angels. And God is giving us little glimpses to say, yeah, there's an organization in heaven. There's governance, right? Even in Job, where God has angels on his left and his right, right? God has, says, and it says the sons of God came before God's throne and Satan was among them, right? They're gathering. They meet. They have order. They have, there are different, um, there are even issues that God presents to the fallen angels, right? You know, you see with uh, King Ahab, right? The husband of Jezebel. They had they were running a satanic kingdom, right? She had the priests of Baal in Israel. She was setting up te uh, temples all, all, all over Jerusalem. This is one of the most idolatrous satanic king couples in Israel's yeah. history. And when, when Ahab was going to die, right, God had determined it's, 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 he's had enough. 
he wanted to have Ahab was going to go into battle, but was unsure if he was going to win. And God said, who will go down there? And an angel said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophet. So he said, I'm going to go down there and indwell or possess one of his prophets and say, yeah, you're going to win this battle, Ahab, knowing he's going to die. So you see, it's so it's really interesting that yeah. they are still there. You can have a fallen angel who's still listening to God, who's still carrying out God's plan. Because at the end of the day, if God gives a fallen angel a chance to hurt a, hurt a human, they're going to do it. Because Paul told us they hate us, right? That's why as soon, even in Job, as soon as Satan had the chance to do anything to Job, he's like, I'm there. Right. So, so, so taking this all into account, this is, you know, this is, you know, again, what Dr. Michael Heiser calls that divine counsel where there's an order and God will is still interacting and allowing the devil and fallen angels to come before him and discuss issues and, and he's giving them commands. So it's really, um, Psalm 82 is a really fascinating passage because we, we only have a few chapters in the Bible that give us such a view yeah. into the angelic realm. Yeah. And that's what we find in uh, a lot of the Psalms is, you know, David is speaking through you know, prophetic utterances. And so a lot, a lot of times, obviously, you know, he even quotes some of the things that Jesus said, you know, that later on happened. And, uh, but I wanted to put that, I wanted to put that a little bit into perspective, what you said about Deuteronomy 32, because when, when you read Psalm 82 and you don't understand the divine counsel um, and what is happening in that spiritual realm and the supernatural realm before the presence of God um, with these sons of God, you know, uh, if you go back to, uh, you touched uh, quite a bit on Deuteronomy 32. I want to specifically, I want to read verses eight and nine from the ESV version. And the ESV version says, when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Yes. Verse nine, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage, which you touched on. But here, some translations have verse eight as sons or children of Israel, while yes. others have it like in the ESV, like you mentioned, like you mentioned. have the sons of God. Now, what is the link here between, you know, what is, what, what has happened in Deuteronomy 32, um, the link between Psalm 82, what is, what's the link here with Genesis 11 and Nimrod and the Tower of Babel? Because yes. this, this is what, this is right? it, right? So this is, this is when, so if you think about it, right? So Nimrod, of course, is the first kind of post-Diluvian emperor, right? So the first person is really building a kingdom. And of course, the Tower of Babel we find here, in which is described in detail right after the Table of Nations, right? That now God, of course, had told humanity, fill the earth, spread out and fill the earth. And, and Nimrod, you know, being a foreshadow really of Antichrist said, no, we're going to have one nation, one city, one language, world government. all be one world government, right? And one religion, right? Because, you know, I, I believe certainly the Tower of Babel wasn't just a tower, it was an attempt to almost like a temple, really, 
yeah. or like I'm the ancient version of CERN, right? Trying to open a portal to the yeah. spiritual realm. That's really what they're trying to do. And the, the easy confirmation of that is when God says, looks down from heaven and says, if they complete this, if they finish building this tower, there is nothing which they imagine to do, which can be withheld from them. Right. And that is to me, that is like a chilling statement from God. That God's saying, if they do this, there's, there's, they can do anything that there's like unlimited power will be un yeah. unleashed. Yeah. So, uh, and of course God had to come down from heaven and stop it himself. And this is of course where he's divided the nations, right? He's, he's scattered. He confused the languages to force people and spread them out by force to stop the, the Babel construction and then also cause the development of the, the various nations in the ancient world. And so this is when, so the context again was when he set the bounds of the nations. We see this in Deuteronomy 32. It's re re referring to this time. Because again, you see, this is right at the time we see the table of nations listed in, in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. And so that's the, really the whole through line through all of this. When did this happen? It's talking about the Tower of Babel dispersion which again, in the ancient world, this was really, um, this was one of the biggest really assaults on the heavenly realm. This is a huge event in the biblical, in ancient biblical history, right? I mean, they said, even what they said, their aspiration said, let us make a name, Shem, right? Uh, you know, God, a name for God is Hashem, the name. So the idea of making a name for ourselves was again, I believe, trying to achieve divine power. I think what they really want to do is to bring back the days of Noah, bring back the sons of God, bring them back to earth. We want it, it open, openly, right? We want them to rule over us, we want them to bring back the Nephilim, all these things. And so it was really um, a very dangerous time could have been unleashed in the earth again. And so, and if you think about like how many times, and there are only a handful of times that God will come down personally to deal with humanity and this is one and so yeah so it was really and, and so and so i think as a result of that god said okay you know there's there's always kind of a give and take and this is true in 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 our lives whether you're a christian or non-believer you know many times god will give you what you want in sin Right. When the people of Israel had their first king, they said, give us a king so we can be like all the other nations. Right. They wanted to be like the rest of the world, even though God had said, you're my inheritance. I don't want them. They said, no, we want to be like them. And so God's like, OK, I'll give you a king since you want one. And, he, and even though Samuel told them he's going to be terrible, you're, you're going to hate this guy. <laughs> he's going to take your wealth. He's going to take your children. And they said, nevertheless. Bring them on, right? And so here they go, right? They, they're trying to get the fallen angels. So God says, okay, now I'm going to divide you and these fallen angels you were, were, were pining for and longing for. And now they're going to be an authority over all your individual nations. And you're going to be shut off from my word. So I'm going to consolidate my word in one person and build my own nation. And now, and, and that's where I will be. And now you can have this world of fallen angelic dominion that you've been trying so hard to get but of course it's not what you really want in the end right and that's 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 the devil's trick all the time right right mm -hmm. since adam and eve he's been promising things and when you get it it's never what you thought it was going to be right yeah. and so 
that again, Babel is really ground zero of this divine council and this arrangement among the nations. We find a, a parallel passage to that in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 19. And this is another interesting passage where God says he's warning against idolatry and saying, don't worship the stars, right? So again, going talking about like, you know, angels are often referred to as stars. He says, don't, you know, when you see it's the sun, the moon, the stars, and he says, even all the host of heaven. So it's clear we're talking about angels and God's saying, don't worship them. He says, should you be driven to serve them, worship them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So again, God is saying, don't worship those angels, the same angels who I've divided the nations of this world according to that. Yeah. So it's another passage that confirms this arrangement in the divine council. Wow. So then what, what ends up happening is that Psalm 82 is a reference to the result of what ended up happening in that that is discussed from the whole Tower of Babel, Deuteronomy 32. Exactly. Exactly. See, it all begins to make sense. It's the connecting of the dots. We were talking about it the other day with Sharon, Derek and Sharon Gilbert. It's when you begin to connect the dots is when the picture begins to, to form. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. I, I, I would love to stay a little longer on, um, the Tower of Babel and what happened with all of these nations. But I want to switch gears on you for a moment. You might all get right. a, little, a little deep here. All right. <laughs> so it's my understanding when I did a little bit of research on this, my understanding that a uh, divinity professor by the name of Thomas Chalmers, have you ever heard of him? I have. From the University of I'm going to say this correctly because I recently went to Scotland and it's okay. not Edinburgh. That is incorrect. I understand. All right. And they don't, right. they don't take it very lightly if you say it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, if you want to say it just like a Scot, you would say Edinburgh. Edinburgh. All right. Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh. Like Edinburgh. Just all Edinburgh. So yeah. there's my there's my showing off my my Scotland. I like it. I like it. I, like, I didn't know that. I like it, but I'm not surprised. And the only reason why I say that is because I've never been to Scotland, mm -hmm. but I can't remember there was a uh, you know um, I can't remember there was a film. This is like probably twenty something years ago. Yeah, uh, it was like a heist film that had Brad Pitt where he only spoke in like a Scottish brogue, and you could it was very difficult to understand. Oh, serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in the whole film, that's how he spoke. Was, I don't really remember cool. that movie actually. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but it was, it was like a heist, you know, kind of one of those heist films. Right. So, um, right. Yeah. Well, he he does know. a really good job. It's very convincing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there you go. So not Edinburgh, but it's Edinburgh. 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 Okay. So Thomas Chalmers, right? So yes. he was a professor there and he introduced the gap theory. Okay. And, uh, and, and the reason he did that, it was to explain what some called a contradiction between science and the Bible with regards to how old the earth is. And, you know, there's all yeah. this, you know, supposed contradiction, right? Of how old is the earth? Well, how old is yeah. the universe? How, you know, you, you have scientists who, will uh, discuss, you know, billions and billions of, of years. and sure. So for 
the sake of our audience. Can you explain what the gap theory is and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, so Chalmers, um, so of course he lived and worked and wrote uh, in the 19th century and preached right as well. And so he actually, he, um, so just to set the context, the time frame of this, right? Because this is all because because he's often connected to Charles Darwin, and of course the origin of the species, um, the book that launched the whole evolutionary movement. And I'm not, I don't believe in evolution. I'm not ascribed to evolution. I'm not a Darwinian believer. Um, it's also an incredibly racist book, right? And that's really the the full title says in the superiority, right? Of I think the Caucasian race, right? The it's, the actual original title is actually clearly a, a white supremacist title. And so I don't agree with him. I don't, and I don't, I'm not an evolutionist just to make that clear. Um, However, that book was published. The Origin Species was published in 1859. And by that time, Chalmers had been um, giving speeches and presentations on the gap theory uh, for a decade by the time the book came out and then wrote on it afterwards. And so what the gap theory in the simplest way to explain it is what it says is that essentially when you look at Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And of course, you get to verse two, and the earth became formless and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, the face of the waters of the deep. And so in between those verses, the gap theory says, well, wait a second. When God created the heaven and the earth in the beginning, that is an unspecified time. There is no date given with that, that at some point in antiquity, God created the heaven and the earth. And then when we get to verse two and we see the earth is formless and void and darkness is formed upon the waters of the deep, uh, that this is the, that the earth had been judged. And that darkness and the water is all a result of a judgment of God, God punishing the inhabitants of the earth. And that's why it's in that, ver- that form. And in between verses one and two is when all that happened, right? Well, Because, of course, it begs the question, well, why would God judge the earth if he had just created it? Well, the gap there says no. There was an ancient history that predates Adam and Eve mm-hmm. on the earth. And that this is the time where God unleashed a judgment that leads to the earth being in this ruins. It's also called the ruin and restoration theory. That's what it was called, really, in the 19th century. And that the earth was in this ruined condition in Genesis chapter one, as a result of this judgment on the ancient world before Adam. And so, which leads to again, even more questions. Well, who was there? If Adam wasn't there, who was there? And again, this goes back to the angels, that the angels were on earth before Adam. And it was their rebellion. Of course, not all of them, right? The one third who rebelled with Satan that led to it being judged. And so when we get to the creation week in Genesis 1, and we see the six creation days, those are literal 24-hour days. It says the evening and the morning was the first day. So it's not, it's, I don't believe in each day was a thousand years, or it's just a metaphor. These are six 24-hour days, of course, the seventh days when God rested. But what's taking place in those days is a restoration. God is restoring the earth back to being full of life, right? And so that's and so that's how we get to the creation week. So 
And so when we think about people say, many people say, well, the earth is 6,000 years old. Because you look at the biblical, approximately, because the biblical history, there's obviously very detailed genealogies in the Bible that gets you to about 6,000 years when you count to today. And what I would say to that is humanity is 6,000 years old. That I absolutely believe, right? Adam was created approximately 6,000 years ago. And however, we don't, the Bible does not say when the earth itself was created. And the gap theory says that, and that's the gap theory. That's the, the high level explanation of what the gap theory is saying, that there was this, this history uh, that involves the fallen angels on earth before Adam. So not necessarily um, a, well, a pre-Adamic race, but not necessarily human beings. These are angelic. No, beings. not humans. No, I, I do not believe there were any, I believe Adam was the first human, right? And God says, you know, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. And I, and so, so clearly, again, if you look at some of the language too, it's kind of giving hints that something was happening before. Because mm -hmm. even the way God says about man, let's make man in our image, it's almost implying that like maybe something went wrong with the beings who weren't made in God's image. Mm. It's like this time we're going to make the creation in our image, in our likeness. Like we're we're going right to the source of us to make this creation of humanity. And so, and I think it's a it, it's it's almost like alluding to the fall of the angels and the and, and and so when you start when you start thinking about it from that perspective i've i've had many discussions about this it's like okay just think about it when you see everything in the creation week the angels aren't even mentioned mm -hmm. so where when were they created what day were they created because they're not even mentioned and so that alone is like well that's a mysterious right and and then you look at some of the language about the different creatures, right? It says, you know, the beasts were created after their kind. Well, what if they're brand new, there is no kind, right? If God made a cow and this is the first cow, how can it be after a kind? There's nothing for it to be modeled off of. It's the first of, of its kind. But yet we see this type of language and even... um. The idea that the earth was formless and void, mm -hmm. right? This tohu vabohu, uh, uh, tohu vabohu in Hebrew, and and the verb haya for to be, right? The verb to be in Hebrew is very different from how it is in English. In English, we use the verb to be constantly. I'm at the store. I was in high school. I do. I, I am going here. I will do this. You know, it's like we use it all the time. However, in Hebrew, they don't really use the verb to be in that same sense that we use it in English. And so if you say, for example, I was a quarterback in high school, in Hebrew, that's really I quarterback in high school. Mm. And it's implied that you're taking something, that it's going back in time, that you were that thing. So when you see the actual verb to be being used, in Hebrew, it usually denotes a transition actual something changing and so chalmers was one of the, one of the first really christians in to write and say this really means the earth became formless and void that not that it was originally created at covered in water surrounded by darkness over the face of the deep the tehom right and when you think about that the tehom right the deep the abyss why was there even an abyss if the earth was just created if no one there's no evil in the world 
why would God even create an abyss mm -hmm. to begin with? But Chalmers said, no, what happens is the earth is, it came that way. It was created beautifully. And then because God judged the earth, it became that way. And what I point to, of course, being someone who's very interested in a passionate research of the days of Noah, just look at the parallels between Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter eight. You again, you find the earth is judged. It's covered in water, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, you know, you have Adam is created and his first task is to name the animals. The animals come to him and he's just naming them in the Garden of Eden. You have Noah, who's the father of, of redeemed humanity, the last remnant of humanity, right? He's a type of Adam. He's now restarting the human race. And what does God say? I'm going to bring all the animals to you, just like the animals came to Adam. And you're, they're all going to get on your ark. You have a sin involving fruit, right? There's a fruit in the garden you cannot eat. And of course, Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. Well, what happens to Noah? He starts drinking the fruit of the vine and gets drunk, mm. right? There's lots of parallels between mm. Genesis 1 and Genesis 8. And so what I submit is that, that God, and we see God saying, I'm never going to do this again. He says, I'm never flooding the world again. And so again, I think that, um, that, that the reason why the earth was covered in water in, in verse 2 is because it was judged. And then there's also an interesting passage uh, in Isaiah chapter 45, where Isaiah is proclaimed that God, you know, God's greatness and specifically references the creation of the earth and says he did not create it in vain. And that term there is tohu vabohu, the exact same term from Genesis 1 verse 2, which says formless and void is used in Isaiah 45, 18. And, and Isaiah says, God did not create it in vain. He created it to be, he formed it to be inhabited. So it's telling when God made the earth, it was not in this ruined judge state. It was inhabited. It was made to be inhabited by life, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes sense, right? That's why, you know, that God would make something, the earth in a pristine, beautiful state. And so, um, so that's a, to me, again, another one of these clues that wait, there's something else going on here that's indicating that this judgment took place. And then, uh, you know, again, going back to the angelic realm, we can look at some of the examples uh, of what of of I think giving hints to this ancient era. Well, what happened in this ancient era? How do we know there's some ancient era with angels on earth before humans? Well, I think we see this in Ezekiel 28, right? And in, in, in Judgment of the Nephilim, I call this an esoteric passage where God is speaking to a king or a prince in word. He, he uses their name and their title, but he's really addressing a fallen angel, an angelic being. And in Ezekiel 28, he, I believe he's clearly addressing Satan, and he's recounting when Satan was righteous and he's and before his fall and he says that was perfect in all thy ways you sealed the sum full of wisdom and beauty so it's praising him and then it gives this amazing verse where it says thou hast been in eden the garden of god satan was in the garden of eden 
Yeah. Or was it when he was the serpent, the Nakash? No, this is before that ever happened. Because it says, every precious stone was thy covering. And then it lists nine stones in the Masoretic version. It says the Sardis, the Topaz, the Onyx, the Carbuncle, right? And it's those stones are all stones that Aaron, the first high priest, the brother of Moses, had to wear on his breastplate, which I see on your bookshelf behind you. It looks, it looks like you have it there on the That's bookshelf. That's right. <laughs> That he had I was to wear say my to ring go, too, but no. Uh, oh, oh, very nice. I have a ring. <laughs> so that's 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 awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But of course, he had to wear those stones. They, you know, uh, to go into the most holy place in the tabernacle. And so God's saying that Satan wore this breastplate. So clearly, this is Satan. And it says, "Thou was perfect in all thy ways until iniquity was found in thee." So it's telling us this is what Satan was doing before he ever sinned and he was in Eden. So when was this? This is clearly because we know when Adam and Eve are created, when he shows up, he's already bad. He's already the devil. That's what no I was doubt about it. He's right evil. Now, right. So that means this is clearly talking about an error before Adam was ever there. And Satan was in Eden, in the garden. And this is what I believe is taking place in that gap between Genesis 1 and verse 2 that led to the, the ruin or judgment of the flood on the earth. First yeah, and flood. Isn't there, yeah, isn't that's what I was going to say. Isn't there uh, a reference to what is called Satan's flood? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and not I, that I he that that he go ahead, but he he it's not he created the flood. It's that there was a there was a, a destruction that occurred because of the sin. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That this and I believe that judgment is was the, the flood of the earth. That the, the, the original flood that we see in Genesis 1-2 was against Satan for his rebellion, of course, before humanity was created. So yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, um I think that it's actually even referenced Satan's flood in the New Testament. And so, you know, you when you talk about the Bible being complex. This is a very complex passage. Mm -hmm. And this is in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses okay. 5 to 7. And this is an amazing passage. Uh, and it says, you know, this is, and this, listen to how Peter says this. All right, I'm going to turn For it For this, they willingly are ignorant of, right? It's a very interesting way to start this. He's saying that there are certain people who out of the who are intentionally ignorant of this and it says that by the word of god the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved into fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men so many people Read, read that and their automatic thought is oh yeah sure the earth was flooded with water in noah's flood but is that what this passage is saying and i would submit that no it's not you know and it's interesting because first of all who is ignorant of the flood of noah i mean that is something where that's one of literally one of the most popular stories in the history in, in human history i mean people who've never touched a bible in their life know about noah's ark yeah. It's everyone. It's, it's literally one of the most well-known stories of any kind in the entire history of the world. And certainly in the time of Peter, <laughs> his life on earth, there is no one ignorant of the flood of Noah, right? It's a well-known, it's one of the biggest events of antiquity. 
So I don't think that's what he's talking about. And also the way he describes it, the earth standing out of water and in. And it says, and he says, by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And so, so it's kind of taken us to a different time. And it's because then he contrasts that by saying the world that then was being overflowed with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, and I believe that's talking about the heaven and the earth to which we live in, in Adam, the age of humanity. And so I think that is uh, what Peter's actually alluding to is this, the flood, the, the Satan's flood, as you called it, uh, rather than the flood of Noah. Yeah. Let me read it in the ESV uh, yeah, sure. uh, version. It says, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was delu deluged, right? With yes. water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the of the ungodly. That is eye-opening. Yeah, exactly. And you think about um, the different world, the idea of world and earth, right? They really have different meanings, right? The world, yes. oftentimes in the New Testament Greek, it refers to an era, an age, as opposed to the earth, which is the physical planet. And so I think, again, Peter's really saying that there was an ancient age that has perished. It's gone. The, the days of Satan running around Eden and angels being on earth, like now we're in the age, the world we are in now. So we're humans, right? We have dominion over the earth, right? We're on earth now. And so, um, so I think that's what he's alluding to. I think that's what he's actually referring to. Uh, and again, if you think about it, where he says, even in the ESV language, right? So if you think about what God is doing in the creation week, right? The world, the earth is coming out of this water, right? The Holy Spirit's coming, is hovering, right? And by the way, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep, right? Yes. Remember what Noah did to get out of the ark. He let a dove fly over the water, right? And the Holy Spirit takes the form of a dove. So again, you see the parallels between the, oh. the first flood and the second flood. It right. specifically starts hovering. And Noah sends a dove to hover over the water to let him know he gets safe to come out and restart the earth again. Right. And that's what we see. The Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden the earth is, re re is restarting again. Right. So it's coming out of a judgment. And I even I even think of. Genesis chapter one, I really think of it as the gospel. Hmm. We are the earth in Genesis one, two. That's who we are. We are ruined by sin. Wow. That's exactly how we were born. Right. Jesus, David said, right. In Psalm 51, he was shaped in, in, in iniquity, formed like he had sin in the womb, right? And what happens to us? The Holy Spirit comes of God. And then what do we receive? Light. We receive the light of Christ. God said, let there be light. The Spirit comes. We believe. And now, now we can see. That's now the light of God. So I, I see it. God is giving a picture of our own salvation right in the opening chapter of the Bible. That is beautiful. And we grow Right. And then we grow as a Christian. We keep, and all of a sudden we have flowers and buds and now we're blooming. Right. And that's what happens to the earth. Right. And that's the gospel. So that is absolutely beautiful.
Do you think that Adam had, um, I don't know what other phrase to describe it other than special abilities, unlike what we have because we're fallen now prior to the fall. I mean, think yeah. about it. He had to name, he, he, he named all of the animals. Um, and it, if he named all the animals, did he not name all of the fish? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Right. Right. So, so how, how would he do that? That's a very good question. Yeah. So, you know, again, remember, I, I, you know, the world of Adam and Eve's day is the, the world without the veil, right? So the supernatural is intersecting yes. with the, the human realm openly, right? God is talking to Adam and Eve. Satan's walking around talking to them too. He's, you know, he's just, yeah. so there's also, so to me to say that Adam had supernatural powers wouldn't be a stretch at all because they were living in the supernatural realm at that time, right? Garden, the Garden of Eden is what I call the first temple. That's where yeah. God chose to put his presence in that garden and created it. Remember, the Garden of Eden, there are only a few things in scripture that are designed and created by God. The Garden of Eden with God, God made that garden. So it itself was supernatural, right? There's a tree that if you eat from the fruit, you live forever, right? That's a superpower, right? That you can eat and you just never die. Yeah. So, and even, I haven't talked about, I even believe that Adam and Eve emitted light. Divine, I believe that they could that they could glow. And so I think that also played a role in them knowing that they were naked because their light went out. And why would I say that? Because they were in the presence of God so true. for a long, we don't even know how long. Moses spent 40 days with God, right? And his face was glowing to the point that his own friends and family wouldn't look at him. They were scared of him because he was glowing and emitting this light because he was reflecting the light of God. And so I believe that. When they sinned, that light went out. And that's when and that's when they had to say, well, we gotta get some leaves and try and, you know, fig leaves and cover ourselves up because that light was gone. Wow, what a great point. That's a great, great point. And and if if uh if we look at the the rest of the story that you know God himself um sacrificed the or the very first sacrifice was there in Genesis as well to cover up absolutely, you know, Adam yeah, another net clear picture of the gospel, right? There a Fair death had had to take place to cover their sin to atone exactly. right it was atonement for their sin exactly. yeah exactly whoever said the bible was boring <laughs> i didn't know what they're talking about <laughs> i don't know what they're talking about absolutely not you know for for um the month of july our series is entitled supernatural great title so, uh, it's very appropriate what we're talking about and um and like we we've been discussing over and over again of how many supernatural events uh, we see and we read in the Bible. And I think that if we fast forward now and look towards the end of the book and the book of Revelation, um, it's, you know, I mean, there's so many Im uh, imageries uh, there of the supernatural. Uh, we see so many supernatural beings. And um I think that if if we read, because I've read the, the book of Revelation several times, um, I've, I've done a studies too on the seven churches in the book of Revelation and whatnot. I know you're very involved in uh, giving um, 
teachings on revelation as well. When you uh, have your Thursday night theologies and you've had your little uh, snippets of your videos and things. Um, I, and I, I do enjoy those so much. So I wanted to pick your brain for just the next few moments, if you don't mind on that. But when we look at the scene begins to shift in chapter four, right? Of the book of Revelation, because we're, yes. we saw, obviously we see John describing, you know, uh, the vision of Jesus, which is absolutely spectacular. Um, and there's so much in that. It's not just, oh, look what I see. I, you know, Jesus is, has his feet of bronze and he's got, you know, it's, there's so much in that. There's so much imagery in there, um, that it's beautiful. But, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about chapter four. When we, when it shifts into chapter four, John sees a door, right? A door standing open in heaven and a voice like the sound of a trumpet telling him to come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. So John obviously witnesses some of the most spectacular scenes depicted in the Bible. This sounds to me, right? Like John saw a portal into heaven. And I want you to kind of like set the scene for us here, right? So I will show you what must take place after these things. Does that phrase in chapter 4, 1 mean after the messages to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? Uh, is, is Revelation in chronological order? What do you what do you say about all that? Great question. Yes. So the answer to the last question is yes. I absolutely believe okay. that Revelation is in chronological order. And I think that's critical to understand Revelation, to understand any of it, right? So okay. and also I believe that not only is it in chronological order, this that the the seals, the trumpets, and the vile or bold judgments of Revelation are also in sequence. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain chapters that kind of zoom in or are parathetical that are kind of summing up events. And there are several of those throughout. But generally, it's in chronological order. So first of all, we can see right from the start, right? You already read the verse in verse yeah. one of chapter four. It says, after this. Yeah. It's already telling us the sequence, right? And then once you get to chapter five, every single chapter begins with the word and for the rest of the book. So it's an and so again, it's telling you this is the in and it's giving us sequence, yeah, right? Yeah. It's almost like a kid, right? Yeah, Mom, I went to school and I saw my friend, and then we went to the mall, <laughs> and then we got my ice cream, and then and then, right? So it's yeah. giving us that sequence, right? And so, so yeah, so I think when you look at the, the, the letters in uh to the seven churches, you know, they're amazing, but I think in, in time, it's to those churches that were addressed, right? Ephesus, Philadelphia, all of them, Laodicea. However, they speak to different epochs of the church, I think, through time as well, right? It's, 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 but, you know, and, and this is, of course, you know, I talk about this extensively in the final Nephilim, that God exists outside of time. So he's literally addressing past, present, and future at the same time in these letters. Mm -hmm. And I, But however, what I find really fascinating in the letters, and I think sets the stage for chapter four is that in the letter in all the letters to the churches all seven letters right there's different some are praised some are rebuked every 
promise to those churches is connected to the great tribulation It's somehow connected to the end times. I mean, he even says, I will cast you in a, into the great tribulation, into a bed, right? So it's Jesus specifically saying, if you do this, if you stay faithful, you'll receive this in the great tribulation, right? Or if you're not, you're going to be punished, right? And you'll you'll suffer that hour of temptation that trieth the whole earth, right? That is a specific reference to the great tribulation that God, Jesus is warning this church to repent. And so given that context, it says, now I'm going to show you what's going to take place. So, that, so send these letters to the churches so they can stay faithful until that hour. And so I believe now in chapter four, Jesus said, now I'm going to tell you about this hour of temptation. Mm -hmm. Right. That this is you want to know what's going to happen in this hour of temptation. Another name for the great tribulation. Right. Is that hour of temptation. Right. And I think even, you know, this is something, too, that because I'm a pre-tribulation rapture believer, mm -hmm. I believe even the Lord's prayer mm -hmm. when it says lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's not saying. Jesus, please don't lead me into sin. We don't have to pray to God. God is not leading us into any sin. So we don't have to, it's, right. I believe it's what it's saying is do not keep us here for the great tribulation. Deliver us Deliver from us. the evil mm -hmm. one because that's his hour, right? It's just like when Jesus was about to be crucified, he says, this is your hour. The great tribulation is, is Satan's last hour. Yeah. So even in that, that so, so now in chapter four, this is that hour of temptation. So Jesus said, I'm going to show you the end times. And I do believe, yes, that he's, it's a portal. He's going through a portal. And it also mirrors the rapture, right? It says like, yeah. right? It's the, the voice of a trumpet, right? I'm at the last that, yeah. trump, right? It says the, the last trump, but the voice of the archangel, he hears a voice that sounds like a trump. We're seeing all these allusions to the rapture here, right? So yes, yeah. yeah, so I believe it is a portal that is taking him, of course, before the throne of God. But as you said, that's absolutely beautiful and there god clearly is going to share and give the the greatest description of the future we're going to see when he describes in, in detail yeah. the judgments of the seals uh trumpets and bowls yeah it, and if if in fact the Revel the book of revelation is in chronological order then the the seven churches are mentioned prior to the come up here you know exactly right so exactly so the last that. one being laodicea <laughs> uh, exactly yeah. the last one being <laughs> the lukewarm <laughs> church uh, let's see yeah. hmm, does that sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> oh lord unfortunately right who who yeah. do you who do you think the 24 elders that john sees are uh great question great question um so I think the 24 elders um, are angels. I believe that they're elder among the angelic realm, just like you have principalities, powers, sons of God, dominions, right? Thrones, they're referred to as well in the New Testament. And I believe that's who these angels are. Paul specifically says there are certain angels called thrones, right? And here we see these angels are sitting in thrones, around God's bigger throne, right? Okay. And what I look to, I, you know, I love typology, right? Yes. I believe everything, all the things we're seeing in Revelation, they have a precursor, a type, a similitude in the Old Testament. And so we see in multiple times, right, this, this number, uh, the significance of, you know, this number 24, and specifically with the, the priesthood, 
the Levitical priesthood. Okay. They were divided, right? So if you for the priests, uh, the Levitical priests who worked in the temple, they didn't work all year round. Mm -hmm. their, their, their work was divided throughout the year in 24 divisions. And they called them 24 courses, right? And we see this with uh, John the Baptist, that his father, when he was a baby, when they, when the, when the angel came and told him, Gabriel came and said, your wife's going to have a baby. And he said, no, we're too old. And he made him mute until the baby was born. It says he was a priest. He was working in the temple. It says of the course of Abia. And so that was the name, the Hebrew name of one of the, his shift essentially. And so again, I believe what was taking place, God is giving us a picture on earth, right? Everything in the tabernacle and the temple is a picture of heaven. How do we know that? God specifically told Moses, build it after what you saw in heaven. So he's everything. It's just a reflection, right? And, I, and that's the amazing thing when you think about the spiritual realm. We are in the human realm. We're like the shadow, right? If you think about how we are in 3D, your shadow is 2D, right? It's you. Obviously, right? You can wave your hand. It's you, but it's you in two dimensions. Whereas mm -hmm. you're, you're, you exist in three. Mm -hmm. In the spirit realm, it's the fourth dimension. We are the shadow. So the, the, that that's how we are to the spirit realm. So it's more real. Like like you are more real than your shadow. This God's heavenly realm is more real than this realm. So imagine that, right? Because we're their shadow, and so. So I think the 24 courses of the priesthood is uh, is a type, a mirror of the 24 elders in heaven. And if you even think, again, going back to Moses, what did God say? He told him, appoint elders. Like, you need help. You yeah. know, he wouldn't want Moses working alone. So I think, again, it's that typology that we're seeing. I don't think, because I know many people say, oh, it's the disciples or the 12 patriarchs. Yeah. But I, but, and which, which I understand. And that makes sense. Cause again, you have 12 and 12 makes 24. That's right. not a coincidence. Sure. Right. And so, but again, I think that's all again, just showing a reflection of the heavenly. The reason why there's 12 and 12 is because they are reflecting what God already has in heaven. Right. And remember there, we see in revelation that there is a temple in heaven. Yes. There's an altar, there's incense, right? So all this is going on. And so I would have to believe that temple is older than the temple of Solomon, yes. which means the elders were around <laughs> before the elders that That's Moses true. had before the tabernacle. Moses saw it right already and modeled it, but for what he saw, which means they already they were already there. Of course, they were already there. They're older. They're all older than Moses. And so so that's how I land on that question, which is a very tricky question. But that I think the biblical evidence supports that it's. God is showing us, if you want to know why there are 24 courses on earth, this is why. Mm. This is what Moses saw that he's patterned uh, in ancient times. Wow. Great, great answer. Absolutely. Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. As we, as we uh, kind of wrap it up in just a little bit, not just yet. I have more <laughs> picking to do for just a okay. few more moments. <laughs> okay. Okay. So chapter six of the book of revelation talks yes. about six seals and four horsemen. And obviously we know of so many books that have been written, even movies or whatever yeah. that have been talked about the, uh, the four horsemen. The seventh seal is in chapter eight, because there's an interlude in chapter seven. Mm -hmm. 
So what's happening here? Can you set the stage here? With the horsemen? Yeah, so set the stage with the horsemen? Yes. Yeah, sure. So the horsemen, you know, it's really, um, you know, very interesting, right? So, so of course, the seal is open. And, and I believe, you know, uh, when we get to Revelation chapter five, I have a very kind of more unique interpretation of the, the timing of these events, right? Because again, I, I believe that what John is seeing is happening right right during that time and so before we get to six in chapter five right he sees that they you know uh god the father is sitting on his throne with the seven sealed scroll okay and it says no man was found worthy to open the scroll in heaven in earth or under the earth right so saying there's no one in any realm who's worthy right and john wants to cry and says but then the angel says you know you know, don't try. You know, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, has prevailed. The Lamb's prevailed, and it says, and, "And lo, and behold," which in the Greek that term is like, "Whoa!" Out of nowhere, meaning like literally out of nowhere, poof, there appeared the Lamb, as it were, slain. And of course, we know this is Jesus, right? Obviously, this is Jesus. But I believe what John was seeing at that point. Because remember, the angel said just a moment earlier in the, in the text, the angel says, no one is worthy, meaning nobody was found worthy. But now the lamb has prevailed and he is worthy, of course, to take the scroll and open it. And so what I think is happening is this is right before the resurrection. That's why no one's worthy, because Jesus had not yet been resurrected. But now he's won his victory, of course, on the cross. He resurrected three days later. And I believe what he sees in the Lamb appears is Jesus now ascending to heaven 50 days later, what we see in Acts chapter 1. I believe that is the moment Jesus has returned to heaven in a cloud. And now, of course, he's he's worthy to open the scroll, obviously, our Lord. And, I, and he opens it. So I believe that scroll was opened at that time. because it says, And he opened the scroll. So I believe, so I believe that uh, when we get to chapter six now and the first seal is broken, when we see, of course, the four horsemen, that that can, that from a timing standpoint, that was 2000 years ago when that was opened, 96 AD, which is when I put the writing of the book of Revelation. And so then, of course, who are these horsemen? What is happening here? Well, uh, I, I believe the first, these four, the, the all four of them, I believe these are spirits. These are spirit realm beings, angelic beings. And why do I think that? Because again, letting scripture interpret scripture, mm -hmm. the only other place we see beings like this are in the book of Zechariah. You can see Zechariah chapter two, Zechariah chapter four. You see these angelic horses. These are not regular guys on horses. These are angels. And, and God specifically says that these are the spirits sent forth across the face of the whole earth. So he says these are spirits. So I believe these are spirit realm beings mm -hmm. that, of course, are ushering in different judgments on the earth, right? And they, obviously, the, the, the rider on the white horse is, I believe, bringing a spirit of apostasy, mm -hmm. of spiritual mm -hmm. deception, right? Then you have the red horse rider brings its war, the black horse rider famine. 
plague, pestilence, and then the fourth rider is death, the pale horse. And so where can we see confirmation of this? And I believe we find a specific confirmation of this in Matthew 24. Right. And so if you go to Matthew 24, where, of course, Jesus is describing in detail the end times, isn't it interesting, right? So, you know, we have the context, and I love this because the disciples say, when are these things going to take place? Right. Tell us, when shall these things be? And the sign of the coming and of the end of the world. So there's no question where we're talking about. They said, what's going to happen? When is the sign? When is the end of the world? And Jesus says, take heed that no man deceive you. The first sign that Jesus points to is deception. And I believe that is the spirit that the first, the white horse brings into the world, the spirit of deception. And what does he say? For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Okay. We have spiritual deception. And what's the second thing Jesus says? And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So again, What's the second rider? The red horse says it brings war. So Jesus is going in the exact order of Revelation chapter six. And then know what he says afterwards says, see that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So there's going to be these wars prophetically, the wars that have been prophesied that will take place, but it's actually not the end times. So again, this is why I believe these seals were opened at the time John was alive, these spirits are being released into the earth, but it's not the Great Tribulation. It's not the end. Uh, all and four. Of course, all four, yes. All, all four. four. And it's for nations to rise against nation. Obviously, this is talking about war, kingdom against kingdom. And then it says, and there shall be famines and pestilence. The third rider, famine, right? That's what is that's what it's ushering in. That's that's you know there's there's a, a, a clearly there's a food shortage, right? So that's what we're talking about. And pestilence, right? All the things that we see in the third rider. And let me go back to that. Let me go specifically to it, right? So it says uh at the third horse, the third seal, it says, I love this because it says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. So basically, you know, like a week's wages just to get a piece of bread, <laughs> right? So, and so, so clearly, there's there's going to be famine, right? That people right. cannot afford food, and um, then we see the fourth seal, and it's death, and it says, "And hell followed. Power is given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the and with the beasts of the earth." And what does it say right after the famine? It says and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. So there's going to be mass death, right? Pestilence, we've seen this, of course. The Black Plague, Bubonic Plague, these are things that are wiping out huge portions of the human race, right? And so it's death. And then Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So the sorrows, of course, is referring to the birth pangs, that things are just getting started. We're not at the birth yet. It's not time to go to the hospital yet. You're just getting a little... A little feeling, but it's not time yet, right? That's so again, Jesus is saying these things are going to happen before the great tribulation. So, do, so you, that, so you, do you think it's you think it's gonna there's gonna be a repeat though at the great tribulation of what these horsemen are doing? No, no, I think these I think these spirits have been released on the earth during the during the church age, the age we are in now, which by the way. 
is a gap in the Bible, right? Because we go from Jesus going to heaven, the book of Acts, right? Yeah. And the apostle Paul and his ministry. And then we jump to Revelation. So there's a huge gap in the Bible that we're living in. We're living in a gap right now. Right. The, church, about, age. Right? No, the church age is a gap, right? We Could we jump from the first century church to Revelation? And then we're done to the end of the world. That's so it. we're living in a gap right now. You talk about the gap theory. And so... So I believe these spirits are in the earth right now in the church age, right? And so, which leads to, well, what about the fifth seal? Why is it open? What's happening? And I think that's the key thing is uh, the fifth seal is the only seal that is connected to time. Hmm. Because when the fifth seal is opened, we see that these are martyrs, right? So the fifth seal is opened. And I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This has to be martyrs. These are people who are dying for their faith and testimony of faith in God, in Christ. Right. right. So these are martyrs. And I believe these are martyrs who are being killed throughout the church age. And look what they say. They cry with a loud voice and saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So remember, the first four seals are open, and they're like, God, when are you going to judge the earth? So they they know that that's not the great tribulation, because they're like, they're still like waiting. They're saying, how long, God? We're waiting for the real judgment to start. So you can see the first four seals are not the great tribulation. They say, how long? And look at God's response, right? And they say to avenge us. They're like, we want our blood avenged. And look at God says, says, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And this is a verse that, that is not discussed often at all. There's so much in there. Look at what God is saying. He is telling them, not yet. It's not going to happen yet, but that there's a number. A number, that right. the, There's a certain number of Christians who have to be killed. That number has to be fulfilled first, wow. right? I call this the last martyr, that God has a number. And if you think about it, God does that all the time, right? Think about when he's talked to Abraham. He said, the sin of the Amorites, he said, in the fourth generation, I'm going to come back to them because they haven't reached my limit yet. I'm yeah. giving them a little, right? Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah, he said their sins have reached up to heaven. So that God has certain thresholds that when you <laughs> reach it, then he's coming. Yeah. And so he, so God has a number and he says, it's very specific. He says, your fellow servants who, who should be killed. I mean, there's a certain, not because obviously not every Christian is going to be martyred, but he knows the ones who are going to be martyred. And when he reaches, when they reach that number, then, then I'm going to avenge you. So I believe we're living in the era of the fifth seal. And we don't know who that last martyr is. We don't know what that number right. is, but God knows. And when that number happens, that is when the great tribulation begins. And I believe that is when we are raptured. And that all happens at the sixth seal. So, so you're, but you're saying then that we're going to go through some tribulation because obviously the tribulation period is a seven-year tribulation it's a three and a half and then the latter part is the great tribulation which is right the, i don't the, believe we're here for any of it i believe okay. everything starts at the sixth seal 
I believe everything. Okay, that's, I, okay. that's the start of everything, right? We're in the we're in the small t tribulation right now, right? In this world, you shall have tribulation, right? right. That's the promise to a Christian, yes. to every Christian. Exactly. But be of good cheer and overcome the world, right? John 16, 33. But that's not the that's not the supernatural tribulation sure. that we're about to get into. I believe everything starts at the sixth seal, which would make sense, right? Because God says, when you're at when that final martyr is killed, then I'm going to avenge you, right? That's what right. he's saying to me. But we just don't know when, right? God knows. And then look at what happens next. Yeah. Verse 12, right? And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, Jesus, yeah. and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, right? The veil is being removed, and every mountain and island were removed out of their place. And this is to me is what clinches it. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, all the powerful people, the Illuminati, every free man, bondman, they hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains. And they said, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Wow. And this is the great tribulation. Yeah. That is the start of the great tribulation. And Jesus says that even in Matthew 24. Yeah. He says that you'll be turned over to be killed. He's describing the fifth seal. And then he says uh, later on. And um, sorry, let me just get to that. Yeah. I'm Immediately good. after the tribulation of those days, and I believe that's the small t. The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, shall be shaken. Everything that was just described in the sixth seal is in that verse. Yeah. Right? And what are those days? Jesus just described the first five seals, and he said that's the beginning of sorrows. He said the end is not yet, right? He keeps telling them that's not the end. Right. It's the beginning of sorrows. He says, but after that's done. And you hear this earthquake that's going to shake heaven and earth shake, right? This is a clearly divinely ordained earthquake. And the sun turns black. The moon turns to blood. He says, this is when now everything starts. That's how you know it's the great tribulation, right? So they, they're, they're running parallel to each other. Yes, yes. And you know, it's really, they're really, it really is completely parallel. And then it goes on to talk about the sign of the son of man in the sky, which I actually believe is the rapture. I believe that when Jesus says you shall see the sign of the Son of Man, but it's actually referring to the raptured church, and it's all in order. And I believe yeah. that the sixth seal is when we are raptured. So, uh, so yeah, so that's my that, that takes us to the seventh seal. I don't know if you want to talk about the seventh seal because I gave a very long explanation. No, that's <laughs> that's that's amazing. That's amazing. I can, I, I can talk about the seventh seal if you want me to, but I know I gave a very long answer. So. No, no, um, you gave a phenomenal answer, right? I love <laughs> the parallels. The that the, types and shadows for me has always been like one of the things that I've I um, gravitate to because that's really what the Bible's all about. You know, I mean, the Old Testament is the New Testament. Uh, and but it gives it, us the confirmation. It gives the confirmation. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and, and so that's how you can know, right? No scripture is of private interpretation. Sure. Right. Sure. So we can't just make things, take some of our own opinion, right? Yeah. God's using his word informs other parts of the word, right? God exactly. says when his word goes out, and he says, uh, 
Every word has a mate, God says in his, in his in the Bible. There's there's a match for everything. Wow. So we're in clearly Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 match with each other. Yeah. Um, do you do you think well, I'd love, I was gonna say uh, one of the things that I really love of your teaching about your teaching is how um you uh, talk about Exodus being the foreshadow of the great tribulation. So can you go into that just very quickly as well? Yes, I'll, I'll go very quickly. <laughs> no, 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 because I want to go back to that seventh seal. I don't oh, want to, okay. Yes, I don't sure. want to so, yeah. so, so, I call, so I call the great tribulation the second exodus, right? Because there yeah. are really two things. Two things are happening in the great tribulation. It's the judgment of Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet. They're all the kingdom of fallen angels. They're all being judged. And of course, the followers, the unbelieving ones who pledge excuse me, their allegiance to the Antichrist, they're all going to be judged. Everyone's for all the rejection of God for taking the mark of the beast. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm sorry. But the second purpose that's being fulfilled in the Great Tribulation is the reconciliation of Israel, right? It's bringing Israel back to a full understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus said, ye shall not see me henceforth until you say, speaking to Israel, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So Jesus says, I'm not coming back until you really know who I am. And this, of course, he said that was in uh, Matthew. This is in, uh, on the verge of being crucified. He said this. So he already knew their redemption was coming, of course. But it had to be their understanding of who he is, Yeshua yeah. HaMashiach. And so I call the Great Tribulation the Second Exodus for that part of it. Because God is, that's what God was doing. If you think about the Exodus, God's punishing Egypt, right? He's punishing this evil empire led by a man who sees himself as a god, right? The pharaohs were gods in their mind. It has a serpent coming out of his forehead right. in his crown, right? Clearly, again, we talk about foreshadows of the <laughs> Antichrist, right? That seems to be a foreshadow. Wow. And he's leading his people to him, right? He's bringing his people out of this judgment to bring them to him. And that's, of course, going to happen again with the end times believing remnant of Israel, that God is going to supernaturally protect them and lead them to salvation in him. And at the same time, he's judging the Antichrist. He's judging the end times Pharaoh, right, Is who is the Antichrist. And if you look into some of the judgments, and again, I'll, I'll be brief, but Egypt was judged with blood during the Exodus. There's a plague of blood. And the Red Nile was turned to blood. The waters are turned to blood. A third of the waters in during the during the trumpet judgments, yeah. all of the waters in the vile judgments, yeah. they are burned with the sun in the Exodus. There's the sun scorches men. Right. They have boils. Boils, right? In Exodus, there are boils on those who take the mark of the beast. Vile boils. There's a plague of darkness in the Exodus. There's darkness in the Great Tribulation, right? We're seeing all these parallels. I won't go through all of them, but just think about this. What brought Pharaoh to finally let the Israelites go mm -hmm. was the death of his son. The death, right. What will Jesus do when he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives? He's going to kill the final Nephilim, the son of Satan, the Antichrist, and that ends everything. That's it. Right? So, second Exodus. <laughs> i was quick for that one that was good that was good okay seventh seal and then we'll do, we'll be done how's that okay uh so the seventh seal uh so yeah so again putting in the context of everything 
that we're saying, right? If, if you know, following this, this chronology that's taking us, that means that the, the Great Tribulation is just starting, right? We said there's silence, the seventh seal in heaven for the space of about a half an hour, right? A, a very strange, that is a very strange verse. Mm -hmm. And it's like about a half an hour. Like, what is that? Yeah. Right. Why, why, what, what is like, what does that mean? Right. It's very, very strange. Right. And which, and I love strange. Right. Yeah. So that's, a, <laughs> I love everything strange. And so, so what does this mean? What does this mean? And so I believe it is a divine sign of God preparing to really unleash judgment, to intervene, to enter into the earthly realm and start intervening directly. And how do I say this? Well, again, when you think about types and shadows, you know, the easiest place to think, where have we seen this before? We see it in the book of Joshua. Okay. Right? God gives them, of course, Joshua, they're going to attack Jericho, and God gives them this battle plan, right? March around Jericho for seven days, right? We're already seeing some parallels, seven, right? There's seven, seven, seven of judgments in the book of Revelation. He says, march around seven days. And on the seventh day, right, march six days. And then on the seventh day, march seven times. So there's like two sevens. There's right. seven days of marching and then seven times they march around Jericho on the seventh day. And what does Joshua say? He says, don't make a sound. Be silent, right? Yeah. They had to be so they're marching now, right? Jericho says Jericho was everyone was locked up. They were behind their walls. They're scared because God, of course, had just defeated the Nephilim, Og and Sihon on their way here. So they're like, we don't want any part of this. What's going on here? These they have a supernatural being on their side who's killing yeah. the mightiest Nephilim in the promised land. And what do they do? They just march around in silence. They're not fighting, right? They're not, they're not doing any fighting yet. That's right. For seven days. I mean, you think about like, right, right. That is really, that's like a gangster move. They're just like, personal <laughs> walk around your building and not make a sound. And you don't know when, you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, right. that is really frightening, yeah. but it's silence. Mm. And then, of course, what do they say in the seventh time? Shout. Shout, right. Right. They start shouting and the walls come down. And so I believe that's, again, a preview of revelation and think about it right what's happening joshua yeshua is coming oh, to attack goodness. and judge right and what do we see at the first trumpet it says there's a mighty angel who has incense at the altar right who can have the who had the incense aaron did only the high priest can carry that right. who's our high priest in heaven Jesus. joshua yes. yeshua yeshua that's right 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 after the silence, who's leading that attack? And what does he do with that, that sensor? Cast it down to earth. He throws it down to earth to start the judgments. That's the first trumpet judgment. He casts it down to earth. And so I believe that silence is, is, is God's, it's almost like a solemn, it's almost like a moment of silence, really, right? We do that now, right? We say, let's take a moment of silence because we're acknowledging something somber has taken place. There's been a loss, a judgment, a death. And it's almost like a divine moment of silence before God is going to truly say, now I'm coming down and I'm really going to judge and I'm not going to stop. Right. Mm -hmm. Once God started in, in Egypt, he didn't stop until yeah. they crumbled and he, all the way to the Red Sea. God was doing everything right. They could even remember God even used his own presence, the pillar to to block, to make it dark. So the Egyptians couldn't catch up to the Israelites. So he God and that's what's happening. In Revelation. Now it's like it's almost like. 
they have a silence before God comes down. Mm -hmm. He's like, now I'm going down there and I'm fixing this for good. And I believe that's what that silence is for. And that's why you see that silence before the walls of Jericho come down. Beautiful. Next time we have you on the program, we have to go into the trumpets. (laughs) Sure, uh, sure. Vials, all that kind of stuff. We have to go into, uh, if you... If you think any of this UFO and alien phenomenon has anything to do with end times <laughs> prophecy as well, I'd love to pick your brain. I have a few things well. to say about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said yes. I have a few things to say about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, I would love. So before before we uh, we close off uh, in a little while, well, after after we're finished with Table Talk, we'll have to schedule our our next, our next yeah, table talk yeah, because yeah. I already have a ton of questions on my mind <laughs> for the next one. But that's definitely one on the on the books to talk about. Yes, Ryan, let the, our viewers know where they can find you, where they can support your work, your ministry, and sure. obviously uh, get all of the materials that you have out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my my website is judgmentofthenephilim.com. Obviously one word, judgmentofthenephilim.com. And that's the easiest way to find me. Uh, of course, I have the books, Judgment of the Nephilim, The Final Nephilim. I have the companion study guides. I have documentaries on both books as well uh, that are available in DVD or in um, digital on-demand format. So you can find that all there. It's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Judgment of Nephilim is now on Barnes and Nobles. Final Nephilim is coming to Barnes and Nobles soon. Some people prefer BNN over Amazon, which mm-hmm. is fine with me. And um, my uh, Facebook, my Instagram, and my YouTube channel are all Judgment of the Nephilim, one word. And that's the easy way to find me. So feel free to reach out, ask questions you may have. Oh, I love to interact and Take questions, just have discussions. So yeah, that's that's uh that is how you can find them. I highly recommend uh the listening audience to uh get uh, both books and the study guides and obviously all the material that Ryan has out there because it'll answer a lot of your questions. Uh, I know that when I get done with some of these table talks, I get questions myself. So yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, some of which I can answer and others I reserve for another Ryan Peterson <laughs> table talk. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. Oh, and I should also mention, because I get asked this all the time when I don't yeah. say it, both books are available on Audible. On, on audio. I, if I, many times when I talk about the books, I forget to mention that. And the first question I get is... Hey, are they in audio? And yes, they are in audio. I narrated both books and they're available on audio on Audible. And I will add also, um, well, I'm in full, I'm in promo mode now. <laughs> both yeah. books have both audiobooks have exclusive bonus commentary in them. Yes. That I gave, I talked about just uh just different concepts I was thinking about as I was writing the book or mm-hmm. challenges I had or things I enjoyed. And also the final Nephilim uh actually has a video bonus video content throughout the book, video commentary uh, throughout the book that is also exclusive to that book as well. That's one of my favorite things. You have the QR code. All you got to do is uh, click on that and and get some material. I'll also announce that I'm working actually, so believe it or not, it's hard for me to believe, but it's actually been five years uh, since Judgment of the Nephilim was published and uh by god's grace and um i'm actually preparing a fifth five-year anniversary edition of judgment nephilim 
that's going to have about 10 hours of video content in it. So that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned good, for that. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what we have to do is we've got to get your books in Spanish. Yes, oh, yes. Has to happen. yes. The Spanish uh, community needs to hear, <laughs> needs to read all of this uh, material. So yeah, that's absolutely absolutely and you know that's something I, that it's been on my list <laughs> having gotten, haven't gotten that done yet i've been very busy uh with my day job yeah. but uh I, my my time has been freeing up a little bit so that's definitely on my list of projects that i want to take care of because you're right uh, it's it's yeah. it's needed it is needed. it's been expressed to me shout out to all my spanish-speaking brothers and sisters uh yes. hermanos uh who have who said that to me so yeah. I, I definitely, it's something I definitely will, will Lord willing, will make happen. Pronto. Lord willing. Pronto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you again for, for being with me tonight. And uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, please share this content, uh, like, subscribe, uh, go to Judgment of the Nephilim, subscribe to Ryan's channels, uh, follow him on his social media. He's got some great content on his Thursday night, obviously, uh, theology that he's got going on at times. And so I, I encourage you to uh, support uh, this ministry because he, uh, I'm telling you, the Lord is, the Lord's taking him to many places and he's been in conferences, which I'm believing in Jesus name that he'll come down to Florida and we'll have a nice, <laughs> great, awesome conference <laughs> together with uh derek and sharon gilbert we were oh, talking that about that great. the other day so i like it i like uh, it sounds as great well as dr laura we'd love to get you all together maybe a beautiful great panel so that we could uh just do a nice conference uh, down in the yeah. south florida area i think it's very needed so um yeah. but thank you again thank you all for those of you that are listening and uh be sure to tune in for our next table talk and we'll see you again soon. So God bless you all. Take care.